Ranch House Media in Chicago, Illinois. This is The Ed Couple, an open, independent conversation about the world of education as seen through the eyes of leaders and reformers in the field. Your hosts are James Gray and Nate Petrini. Welcome to The Ed Couple. I'm Nate Petrini. And I'm James Gray. James, uh, I haven't seen you in like forever. About 10 months. Yeah. Um, no episodes in 10 months. That's sad. Yeah. Sad. It is. But fortunately, I have seen you For sure. a lot in the last 10 months. We For just sure. don't sit down and record. And we're back. And we're back. So we made a commitment to each other to try to rekindle this hobby. Yeah, we uh, did. It's yeah. not easy. It, but we miss it. We miss it. You know, uh, the reason I wanted to sit back down and start recording again, James, was because it helps keep me more engaged with things that matter in education. Uh, It's also helpful to hear your perspective and unpack those. And then it forces also conversations with other people who listen to the episodes or ask us about what we're up to. I saw a a friend today I hadn't seen in many years. um, And he asked me, what's with the podcast? Um, And I know you get a lot of those questions quite often i i do i do um you know i think my family's glad that i had one less hobby for about a year what are your other hobbies yeah i i mean i i should say my family's glad that i had zero hobbies for (laughs) about a year so now i got one um but yes we're back because uh we enjoy this i hope we get some listeners that would be nice sure yeah but this is actually our 40th episode not bad not bad. We had a good run for about three years, took almost a full year off, and now we're back. Um, and some new things have happened since we've been gone, especially with you. I'd say so. Yeah, I'm uh, back in the saddle. You are. Yeah, I retired, I don't know, th- uh, three years ago and um, back as a principal. Mm-hmm. This time in Evanston, Skokie District 65. I got the job in August. Did you have like a real good lead up to the school year? I did. I had two days. Two days. <laughs> two days. So two days. I was hired on a Monday night. Uh, started on Tuesday morning. Teachers reported for professional development on Thursday. Yeah. So. Yeah. What did you do in the two days before teachers showed up? Like just. <laughs> I took a nap. <laughs> yeah. Like get your email I, I set mean, up. What can you do? It's um. Yeah. It was a shock to the system, and I, I think. Fortunately, I'd been a principal. Yeah, it was on your first time. If it was a new person, it would have been a traumatic yeah. experience. For and everybody. For everybody. <laughs> yeah. And maybe my teachers would still say it's traumatic this year. It's interesting. I, I principal for eight years in Chicago. And, you know, by the end, you had a, a good run, too, in Chicago. We were both pretty competent yeah. principals. Our schools were, were uh, well run. And it's interesting how quickly... I've felt that competence wear away. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of rust about um, things that I might have solved eight or nine years ago or systems, sure. systems I put in place eight or nine years ago. And you think, well, how did, how did I do that? I don't remember how I did that. Yeah. And so rethinking how to solve some of the issues uh, the school is facing has been fun. Um, I also think the fact that um, when I started at uh, Hamilton in Chicago, mm-hmm. I had zero kids. Yeah, you like of your own children. Of my own, right? Yeah. Zero, zero right. of my own children. And now, how many do you have? I have four. You have four, yeah. So it's a lot. Time is very different. Uh, I heard a uh, the group, one of the Groupon founders, uh, was on the startup podcast years ago, and he talked about how when you have kids, he felt like he couldn't be as effect as an effective as a CEO as he was before he had kids. Yeah. 
which makes a lot of sense when you have sure. kids and you realize it. Yeah. Um, so time is just different now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have as much time as I used to have. So the the rate of change or what I think is what I can do. You know, I don't go, I don't go in on the weekends anymore, yeah. like I might have those first couple of years uh, in Chicago. What do you like about your school? It's a diverse school. It's about four hundred kids. Uh, we've got about forty languages. Whoa! Yeah. Um, how many do you? How many do you speak? I speak one. You speak one fairly well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's a K to five school too, which is very different than. Yeah. Uh, Evanston has a, a middle school model. There are a couple mm-hmm. of magnet schools that are K to eight, but we're K to five, and it's fascinating to me because fourth and fifth graders kind of take on that persona of the big kids on the block mm-hmm. and um, that's not the case in Chicago public it's schools it's not no. so there's different behaviors yeah. that might happen a little bit earlier a little bit earlier yeah yeah so that's been very interesting that's funny to, yeah to do, do you it. feel like so I mean you mentioned here and you've said this to me in previous conversations that just a lot of like learning what's unique and different about the district takes up a lot of time and can cause uh, a really slow rate of change but do you feel like being in a different district your work with either individual teachers and groups of teachers around how we prioritize getting better at our job does that does that transfer and carry well well I'll let you know when the five essential survey comes out <laughs> yeah <laughs> people I, I hope so you know um there's, I do not have an assistant principal. I, well, hard. I shouldn't say that. A full-time assistant right. principal. I have a, a three-day-a-week. They're called assistant principals for specialized services. Okay. So they function as the case manager and run all special education and also restorative practices. Um, and my AP is great, but she's not there five days a week. And that's been a real change for me. Sure. I, had a, I had an AP from the beginning in Chicago when I had 230 kids. Mm. Um, they were teaching AP, but I did have an AP there just as a thought partner. Um, so again, the time is just very different for me so far. I'm trying to, I need to be better about focusing my time in classrooms. That's the age old yeah. story that yeah. principals tell. Um, and I own that, that I need to do better on that. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, other thing is I'm, I'm learning different curricula. You know, they use the Lucy Calkins reading and writing frameworks, mm-hmm. everyday math. Those were not curricula we used um, so I'm trying to learn more about those yeah. curricula. Um, testing? They test up there? Not as much. Not as much? Yeah. Okay. Um, there is some testing, but uh, I think there's just not the same focus on outcomes, mm-hmm. testing outcomes, in this district as there is in Chicago and perhaps other... Maybe we could talk more about that. Yeah, let's do that. That's what we're going to talk about. But... Um, so uh, today's Super Tuesday, actually. So a um, couple big things. First off, every time we're, just so people know when we're recording, it is Super Tuesday. It's about 9 o'clock. Every time Tulsi Gabbard wins a state, we're going to take a shot of bourbon. <laughs> okay. All right? We'll be sober at the yep. end of the night. Um, but uh, as of Super Tuesday, James, what are your plans for next year? Politically or? Yeah, <laughs> for work. Same thing. You're going back. They they invited you back. That's what I was getting oh, at. Oh, yes. They invited you back. Yeah, it's very so, interesting. So you'll be back next yeah, year. Yeah, suburban districts are very different than Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if it's better or worse, but you yeah. could, it's a one-year contract. Yeah. Whereas so, in Chicago public schools, it's a four-year contract unless you're in an interim status or something correct. like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll be, back. I'll be back next year. Yeah. Um, Good. Good news. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Nate. Yeah. 
What are your memories, you know, about your teaching career way back in the day? Mm-hmm. What are your memories about high-stakes testing yeah. back when you were in the classroom? So, it, you know, it's funny. As, as a kid growing up in Illinois, I remember almost nothing about high-stakes testing. And that was not something, at least my experience in undergraduate, it was not something that they taught you about. Right, like what is high stakes testing? Why do we do it? What are some functions of it? We didn't get under the hood, right? So I remember my first year teaching, I was at a middle school in Florida, Rockledge, Florida, Kennedy Panthers. Um, (laughs) So I remember the first time we did our high stakes testing, they called it the FCAT. I don't remember what it stood for, but Florida something achievement test, right? Um, I remember going into a meeting and it was probably an hour and a half to two hours of test proctoring. And I remember just being shocked at how um, operationalized this whole thing was and how long it was. So we spent nearly two weeks where the bulk of every single day was students testing in your classroom. Teachers were assigned um, a partner who you proctored the exam with. So like every minute of every test of every day for two weeks, I was in the room with another adult we had 15 minute rotations throughout that time where like you pace for 15 minutes and I'll sit for 15 minutes. Literally they had our times broken down to 15 minute responsibilities. And it was this intensely proctored, highly rule driven two weeks worth of time. And I just remember being a new teacher being blown away at how much time we were spending doing this and how serious the two weeks were. So as you think back to that, was yeah. the district trying to show kids that it was important or yeah. to not have any impropriety? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, Florida, um, shortly before I started teaching there, was sort of where the city of Chicago was in 1989, where they were being hit over the head by national um, research organizations and politicians as being an example of poorly educating their students, right? So they they were, you know, 10 years behind uh, Chicago Public Schools where they were saying, like, you know, we need to start focusing more on student outcomes. Yeah. And we need to really be ensuring that at every single school, learning's happening, right? And, yeah. and this uh, high-stakes exam, I think, was a way of doing that. There's a lot of celebration around the fact that we were a, an A school. Um, and there was just a lot of... Uh, nervousness and anxiety around the exam from teachers and from uh from the school i believe if i even if i recall I mean, this is a long time ago that schools and teachers were getting um uh stipends of students if your school oh, wow. was in a school it was a merit-based exam so it was just really intense and i remember being yeah. 22 years old and feeling the just immensity of, of these two weeks my first memory of standardized testing, I was in first grade. You and remember taking No, this is a great story. Right. So we got this. I don't know what the test was. I think it was maybe a one-off test that the district was doing. It was a thick booklet. All right. And we start taking the test in first grade. And I look in the back of the book, the booklet. Okay. The answers <laughs> are in the back of the booklet. I don't so think it do? was the teacher's guide. I think yeah. they just didn't think first, first graders, graders would flip to the end. Well, so I um, answered the questions and looked in the back and, and double che- made double checked my is work. This, is this how you got into the gifted program? No, yeah. So, I mean, I remember my mom getting a call or a letter from the school. I was in the 99th percentile. <laughs> oh, <Booyah>. yeah. <laughs> I was 
pretty smart kid, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I knew what that test was. This is my first memory of testing. Yeah. Um, my second memory is much like yours in a Chicago public school. Um, I was teaching fourth grade. We took a test called the ISAT. ISAT. Illinois. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to quiz you on those. Okay, so all, all the yeah. jargon. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. The principal at the time, there was no choice in when teachers could test. This is all paper and pencil, of course. This is you know early 2000s, and every like it was a lockdown in the building. Yeah. And I think some schools probably still do that, but I had a proctor come in the room. Yeah. Walk around. Um, it was paper and pencil, and I remember. Um, you could kind of just look and see how your kids were doing yeah. as they were taking it. Um, that was my other memory. My third memory is of, and maybe you remember this as well, uh, I was an assistant principal in Chicago, and there used to be a huge meeting of principals and administrators at Symphony Hall. I don't know if okay. you ever attended that. Uh, Arnie Duncan, when he was CEO, he brought all the principals down, uh, all the administrators and it was like a huge, like rah rah mm-hmm. celebration. And you know, these schools have had ten years of ISAT growth, <laughs> and then these schools have had nine years, and everyone's yelling and screaming. Um, and then when he got to Washington, yeah, he said things like, "Well, that that test really wasn't very rigorous, mm. uh, you know, but it was celebrated." So, sure. my point is, my whole career in Chicago, um, I felt high stakes pressure yeah. um you know the outcomes yeah. have been have been important yeah yeah um and there's a i don't think what we will really get into deeply today james is all of the like strained relationships and the good sides and the downsides of testing what we are looking to do today is obviously the biggest news story right now in chicago public schools aside from tulsi gabbard's super tuesday sweep is uh, the fact that the Office of the Investigator General just about, what, one week ago, two weeks ago, released a report pointing out a lot of irregularities. Correct. Right? Correct. So I'll have to ask you this. Yeah. When you were principal in Chicago, how long, I mean, what was the longest any of your <laughs> kids would take a test, take the MAP test for? I mean, Yeah, so most students... James finished it in 75 to 90 minutes. Yeah, and that's on the long end, I think. Yeah, right? Most students had it done within that window. However, there was always one to two kids per grade who basically would take it until you told them, listen, young man, it has been X amount of hours. You need to just answer the questions and move on. So last fall, my daughter was in third grade, and I asked her um, about her her tests and if she remembered her score and how long it took her she said oh it took me 200 uh what'd she say 148 minutes i'm like what yeah <laughs> why are you taking this long on the test yeah. um took that, my son about seven minutes yeah. so i could tell you your difference in scores so that's the map test why don't you uh yeah kind of quiz me or let's or do it quiz our listeners perhaps on let's do it so all the so listeners this report that we're talking about is surrounding uh uh, the MAP test. But what we want to make sure we can do here is know that um, people are familiar a little bit with the landscape of what exams children and teachers uh, administer and face here in Chicago. So really there's three of them. The first is the NAEP test. Um, James, what are the what are the initials of NAEP? Uh, National 
something something progress yeah that, that's it you got yeah. it right there <laughs> yeah. uh the nape it's n-a-e-p um so this is actually a congressionally mandated exam students take it for the most part all across the nation in grades fourth uh and eighth however um not every student takes it. So it's an exam that's meant to sort of get a snapshot as to how the nation's doing. If you've ever heard of this thing called the nation's report card, that's what it is representing. Um, and so what they try to do is get samplings of kids within a specific district that sort of make up that district and also then roll up into like a snapshot of the whole nation so that we can look at how a district is doing, a state is doing, and the nation is doing um, yeah. on proficiency. There's no, there's no teeth to this exam in any way. Like there's no accountability for schools or for principals or districts. Right. right? It's an ape test. And this test was the test that was used um, for Sean Reardon's study. There you go. Saying that CPS had effectively six years of growth in five years. I think. Yes. The, yep. Yeah. That's the exam that's being cited that touted the CPS record that put us in, in one of the top three districts in the country right. for growth during that time. Right. Um, if you were a principal, um, you would really only have the NAEP test come to your school once every two years. It would only be really maybe even just like half of your fourth grade or half yeah. of your eighth grade. I never had it. You didn't. I probably had it twice. Yeah. And it was like, we're done within 60 minutes, yeah. and it's over. Right? And they bring proctors in, probably. No, our teachers proctor. They did. Um, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I would just basically say, hey, fourth grade teachers, read this manual and do this thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it was not... I hated to have to ask them to do this, but it was minimal interference, minimal accountability. We followed the rules. We moved on. Which is always a concern for... Um, some teachers, some administrators, parents, mm-hmm. testing, fair testing advocates that testing yeah. is taking a lot of instruction. People's time. Yeah. Yep. So that's the federally mandated exam. Now, the federal government also, though, mandates something uh, of every single state through uh, the current federal education program called the Every Student Succeeds Act, essentially mandates that every state have a common exam that they give to every third through eighth grader. In fact, they require that 95% of the third through eighth graders in the state take the same exam. That is, uh, schools have their uh, data published. It generally comes with some form of accountability. Um, The state gets to pick that exam. Presently in Illinois, we have something, it's called the IAR. This is where your quiz comes in, James. What does, I, I actually know the answers to these. What does the IAR? The Illinois Assessment of Readiness? Way to go, James. Yeah, thank you. Right. So parents, um, you may also have known the IAR is the PARC exam, James. What did, what What's the PARC? Some, I don't remember. All right, could, yeah. That's a bummer because I lied when I said I remember. Yeah. I was hoping you would carry this through. And before Park was the ISAT, a lot of before that was the Iowa, right? Yeah. These are the state standardized exams that take you anywhere. Your kids will take third, <clears throat> sorry, third grade through eighth grade, anywhere from like four to eight days, depending on how the school spaces it out. Um, and we're all fairly familiar with that exam, and it's pretty required. And the the issue with that test is that you do not get the results back in a very timely manner correct you usually take it in april of every year and you the school gets the exams mailed to them during the summer Correct. generally correct and so by the time people have forgotten about it they're not as concerned about it the data isn't always very useful for the school when they're trying to think about their own internal improvement mechanisms right Right. and uh, one other thing this was a test that 
many parents, um, many students refuse to take. Yeah. Uh, in my school. Sure. One one year, um, there's not a you can't uh, opt out of a test, but a child could refuse it. Correct. And that happened uh, in a lot of schools in Chicago. Yep. So yep. then, so that means the data is, you know, the big picture data. It's hard to look at it because you don't see the whole school. Yep. And if districts don't. Uh, evaluate 95% of their students on this, they run the risk of losing state funding allegedly. and federal funding, right? Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. I said run the risk. Yeah, sure. I didn't say they will. Yeah. Sure. So again, we have a federal test to snapshot. We have a state test um, that uh, for the state plays an accountability role. And then we have the MAP test, which is the one that um, we're talking about today. So the MAP test is the name of a specific test run by a testing company called NWEA. Sometimes people use those two terms interchangeably. They'll say the NWEA exam or the MAP exam, right? Uh, and it, this is sort of meant to do what James and I were just saying the state exams don't do. It's meant to give teachers and staff useful data. We would call this a progress monitoring exam where you get the data instantly. It tells you each child specific skills that they need to work on. And you can actually do it up to three times a year, a fall version, a winter version, and a spring version. So you can track growth throughout the school year. Um, and it's not something that we must do. It's chosen by the district, but a lot of districts choose to That's do right. the MAP exam. It's something like 20 million kids around the country take it every year. Yeah, right? and I mean, it's a form of, it's a test teachers can use, but it's also a high-stakes test as it well, is. which you'll talk about. It is, right? So it is something... It, most people know this who are in Chicago and in education, but the MAP test is high stakes in that it's part of teacher evaluation, the growth that your students um, hit. It's part of principal evaluation. In fact, it's 50% of principal's ratings, right? Uh, it's part of uh, CPS, I think, um, has made a really good commitment to transparency of data, um, unlike a lot of other districts, and they put their MAP data publicly out there for individual schools to see. Uh, and then additionally, it's utilized for student access to schools for selective exams. Yeah. That's one of the big ones. Yeah, right? so for seventh grade uh, or for high school admission yeah. in the selective schools, that seventh grade MAP score is the score. It is. Uh, it's a huge percentage of the... Uh, yeah. yeah, whether or not a student gets in. And then there's a couple important things to think about is differences between these exams. So the MAP test is an untimed exam, right? And it is um, also a, an adaptive exam, which what does that mean, James? It means if you keep answering correctly, you're going to get a little bit harder questions. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't answer correctly, it might bring you down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, the questions might get a little bit easier. And so right. if you're taking a test and I'm taking a test, we could be testing on, you could be in geometry and I could be in pre-algebra. It could be all over Correct. the place in regards to rigor and skills that it's testing. Right. Right. Um, and so those are the three different exams. Um, and James, why don't you talk a little bit about um, the OIG report that just came out? Well, even before then, um, I mean, th these tests are a big deal. We were principals in Chicago for eight years and six, five. five. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the money. This is the money test. Yeah. And um, meaning, it's one that kids and parents and teachers care about. And principals. And principals. And yeah. principals. So I mean. Uh, there has been a lot of pushback from people over the years that it's um, too, there's too much testing, uh, that this test is too high stakes. What's interesting to me is 
many of my teachers, and I wonder if it's the same for you when you were a principal, really valued this test. Oh, yeah. And so I even had, we tested in kindergarten, in kindergarten and people would say, oh, it's too much testing. Really, it was like 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, teachers honestly value yeah. this data. Yeah. Um, we saw a lot of merit in it at my school. Yeah. 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 And the responsiveness of the, of the scores yeah. was powerful. It gave teachers something immediate, too, to like... Not that they don't get this in a day-to-day basis, but an immediate snapshot of their class, and they'd look at this and say, I want to go work with this kid on this thing. And it also gave them a tool for talking to parents, saying, here's where you should celebrate and feel good about your kid. He's doing this well in um, measurement. Um, But we need to work on... Um, you know, yeah. algebra. Right. So let's talk about how we're going to work on algebra. Right. Not that you can't do that with classwork, but it was it was creating common language and it was helping us talk about growth within our students. And you could argue that, um, I mean, the success in Chicago is, I believe, I mean, uh, teachers and principals. Yeah. Uh, and principals Mostly hire principals. Yeah. Ah, principals yeah. hire the teachers. Yeah. Sure. Right. So, but the focus on data, I think, really started, I mean, with the MAP test. There was a test called yep. the Scantron. Yeah. Do you remember that? I uh, do. When Ron Huberman was, was mm-hmm. uh, CEO. Um, this is the first test that was really actionable. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder um, if a lot of the growth over time has been because teachers are really thinking about data in a different way than they did before. I would agree. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. So, James, talk a little bit about um, what this report found. And um... yeah, so the inspector general um, who stepped down at the last board meeting, or uh, <laughs> even prior to that, he announced it, um, uh, dropped this report. Um, and it's a, I don't know, 90 pages. It's funny, you and I were texting some other principals uh, that day, and so, <laughs> You're like, tell me what's in there. I'm like, well, it's 90 pages. Um, it's hard to... So I sent you some charts. It's hard to put in a sentence. Yeah. So they looked at two things. One is that length of testing. This mm-hmm. is an untimed test. So like we and talked... It's two, it's two different exams, yeah. right? You take a reading exam and a math Correct. exam. Yeah. Um, it's untimed. So okay. a, a child could take uh, six hours. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think mm-hmm. about that. Um, and so the length of the test... And then the number of breaks or pauses that yeah. a student takes during the test, which are done by the teacher. The student mm-hmm. can't, as far as I know, can't pause the test themselves. The teacher or proctor has to do that. Um, I recall, you know, uh, certain kids were taking their period was over. It's time for lunch now. Their test is paused. Mm-hmm. They're going to re- resume it. Perhaps a child with special needs uh, can't get through the whole thing at one time so there's going to be some pauses during that test yeah Um, and if you only are able to fit a 60 minute block for students to take the test and they've got two or three more questions to go um, you would pause you would suspend and and one of the differences that we'll talk more about I assume in a little bit is um, there's not as much guidance given to schools as to what they do in all these situations with an untimed test so in the NAEP test and in the IAR yeah, test, right. it's like you have 60 minutes. Correct. Um, do not, and literally you will read the instructions. Like you're not even allowed to go back, you know, turn back the page if it's paper-based or click yeah. on that past test. Whereas here, if it's untimed, should we administer them in 90-minute sections, 120-minute right. sections? Right, 
do we roll right. over into the next day? Right. So as I recall uh, at my school, the kids that would take multiple days, it was a, it was really a handful. It was not yeah. a big number of at kids. my school. Um, so the inspector general looked at the 2018 spring map test. Um, and I'm looking at the math durations. So this okay. is how long it takes children to take the test. Okay. Nationally, for example, a third grader nationally takes 57.7 minutes. Yeah. That what we talked about? Yeah, there you go. In CPS, it's 72.6 minutes. Yeah. Um, a little bit higher. A little bit higher. Similar in fourth. Uh, you get to fifth grade, the average student in America, 66.9 minutes. Uh, in CPS, 89.9 minutes. It's a bigger gap. Okay, so it's going to get worse. Sixth grade, uh, 70.7 minutes is the national average. Okay. A CPS sixth grader, 121 minutes. That's two hours. Yeah, it's a lot of time. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not in one... It's, it's probably it's not one It's got to be a challenge setting. to get yeah. without pausing that test, unless mm-hmm. you have these huge blocks of time. Um, if you look at seventh grade, which is really the most important test... I mean, sixth grade, you could say, is important if your child wants to go to an academic center, right? Is yeah, it, or no, it's fifth grade. Fifth grade, exams, okay. Yeah. So seventh grade test is the test that looks for for your for high school. school yeah average kid in america 70.7 minutes mm-hmm. in chicago 137.4 almost double almost double yeah. the amount of time um and then eighth grade uh, a similar story it actually is doubled so the question i have for you is why yeah i, I don't have the answer for it i'm just this is just conjecture i don't think the inspector general is really doesn't have the answer why um yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things that come to mind, first off, um, of the 20 million or so students who are taking this exam, how many are taking it in schools where there are stakes attached to the yeah. exam, right? So uh, are we comparing ourselves against other districts where that's not even the case? And if so, is that a fair comparison, right? And number two, I can say this for sure, that the sixth grade exam has a step up in rigor for students as well. So that might account for some of the major change from fifth grade to sixth grade like a 30 minute change in the extension of the exam is that students are feeling something a little bit uh, more rigorous than they're used to but what about national i mean it's the same yeah. story nationally too right. um yeah it goes up three minutes <laughs> from six to seven <laughs> nationally <laughs> yeah you just proved me wrong James. Yeah. so it's interesting so that's the first thing that's a okay. little little irregular yeah um something for the district to think about um, the next thing is pauses, those breaks that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to read from the report. It says, NWE data indicated some CPS tests were paused 20, 30, 50, and even 60 times. The heaviest pause rates occurred in 7th and 8th grades, where at least 7% of all tests in each of those grades were paused at least five times. Let me repeat that. of all tests pause at least five times. As with long durations, tests with at least five pauses tended to be clustered in certain schools. One other thing. The OIG found both high durations, that length, and high pause counts were associated with a greater likelihood of achieving unusually high gains. Yeah. So one thing that I think is important to point out before we talk about that is there's a difference between a pause in a suspension of the exam, right? So a suspension of the exam typically means we're shutting it down for the day 
and we're going to come back and do it later. So like you didn't finish in the time that the school was able to allot, right? So we'll give the teachers 90 minutes, tell them to test the kids. Oh, we didn't finish. Suspend. We'll try you again tomorrow. Pause implies that a test session is open Mm -hmm. and someone is literally pausing your exam and you're doing what? Maybe going to the bathroom, getting Kleenex. I don't know. You don't know. Um, One thing this report uh, indicated, which I didn't know about the map test and I gave it for many years, is that if you pause questions multiple times, often it will just give you a new question. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like in practice, I'm not sure. But did you know that? I had no (laughs) clue. And I proctored hundreds in this exam. Yeah, so So there were schools that, you know, the, the data indicated they were pausing it multiple times, perhaps in a hope to get a different question from yeah. kids. Yeah, so you've got this um, unique approach to testing, right, where you have this untimed, high-stakes progress monitoring exam, right? It's all of those things. And then when you add in, like, not a ton of guidance on what to do with all of the proctoring, um, we're seeing some of these irregularities. Yeah, so it's important to note, though, that Inspector General is not saying there was systematic cheating on the MAP tests. Correct. Um, but he did give, and his team gave, some recommendations for the district, which they've responded to. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about some of those? Yes, absolutely. So reducing, uh, so to, to in order to reduce its duration averages, um, they could set reasonable time limits for general ed students, and they should try their best to hit that. So sort of like what you and I were talking about, where we would tell students, hey. Yeah, two hours. Right. Yeah, that's that's the max, kids. Let's yeah. shoot for 75 to 90 minutes, and then you need to wrap it up, and we need to be done. Yeah, and one more point on that. I mean, yeah. there there were children. I talked about the average testing time, of course, with an average. Yeah. There were some children, they, they, didn't, they talked about these tests. They were taking six and seven hours totally on the test. I mean, it's sort of incomprehensible for me. It could take that long to finish a 50x question yep. test. Yeah. So they talk about uh, ensuring that we have protocols for all the things that proctors can do um, to override a student's test, mm-hmm. pausing mm-hmm. Um, where you can and where you cannot. What are the rules mm-hmm. around with that? Um, finding a way to... Uh, uh, record proctors of tests um, also not something that is specifically uh, managed so as a principal I would have people sign off that they've read the guidelines and the expectations for map testing but I didn't keep a log of every adult that was in the room during every test and there was no sort of like double check correct and also children right? with, with um, uh, an IEP a special education plan or a 504 um, for testing accommodations they're tested by somebody else other than the classroom teacher typically and schools did not keep good track of who was doing those tests so they're Mm -hmm. saying come up with a firm way to keep track of that yep um they suggest also that uh we go in and we audit classrooms that uh previously produced unusual test results right rather than on grades and subjects in a school that may be using different proctors by the time audits are conducted so meaning um, we need to go in and actually look and try and figure out where these unusual test results are coming from. 
Um, they also talk about, and this is interesting too, uh, I like that this is acknowledged, the tension between um, high stakes accountability for a teacher and a kid needing to be able to take an exam and show what they can do actually on that exam, right? And so they prohibit um, teachers whose evaluation are tied to those student scores from being the sole proctor in the room. So again, not saying that teachers are cheating, but let's remove some of that uh, concern or doubt or opportunity. Which makes sense, but it's a huge management issue for for a principal to come up with, let's say you have 24 classrooms we well, don't have 24 additional people, most likely, yeah. to proctor. So it's a it's a management issue that I'm sure the principals in Chicago will solve. Sure. I mean, James, when you were principal and students were taking the MAP test, was it common that multiple rooms were taking it at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say five to six rooms at the same time, sure. maybe, yeah. throughout your school. Right. So then you need to come up with five to six other adults Correct. to just be in that room. Yeah. Did you have like five or six adults we really around. didn't no you didn't okay yeah. just confirming i'll get some subs yeah 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 um I, anything else on here that again there's a, a lot of good suggestions we don't need to run the one through thing, all of that uh, the last recommendation yeah it's a good one hiring a test security expert uh, for help and guidance mm. um you know the contract with nwa is uh, up to 2.2 million dollars is ending in june um so it says if CVS cannot adequately address its duration issue and obtain an agreement for NBA to provide additional needed data, CPS may want to consider a different mm. test as a high stakes assessment. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, we'll see. And, and CPS actually agreed, I think, to all of these uh, recommendations. And um, I got an email. That's how I found out about the story from the district saying, here's what we're going to do about it. Um, so let me just ask you this, Nate. If you're just a teacher in a fourth grade classroom in XYZ school in Chicago, what are you feeling right now? Right now, I would be feeling a little bit disappointed and frustrated because I think most teachers in Chicago public schools um, are doing it the right way and for the right reasons and are trying to utilize it as a progress monitoring exam. I'm not saying every teacher likes it and loves it, but I'm saying that the vast amount of teachers are trying to use the data to better understand their students yeah. and help them achieve some growth and talk to their parents and their colleagues about individual students. Yeah. And so I, I think the scrutiny on it is is tough for them. I also think the chance, the suggestion that CPS potentially ditch the exam and move to something else is an unfortunate yeah. I suggestion. Yeah, I mean, if you think that, I, I agree, if you think that a, um, an auditor is going to come into your classroom when you're giving the reading test in, in April, it's also a little scary, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I feel for teachers that are having to go sure. through this and um, this is not happening in every school. It's, it's happening yeah. in, a, in certain clusters of schools. Yeah. Um, I mean, what about principals? I mean, principals have had this, their eye on the prize for this. I mean, mm-hmm. if you and I were back in the saddle in, uh, in CPS. CPS. Yeah, um, I mean, ideally, uh, we would use it as a time to sort of, like you said, take a management stance and figure out how we can do a better job of, you know, of proctoring the exam in a way that does meet, that comes closer to meeting the standards of when we give the IAR, the park test before that. We, we did treat those exams differently in regards to the standards that we held our teachers to. Last question. Yeah. I mean, this does beg the question 
this test was not meant to be used for high stakes accountability. Yeah. And that's how we're using it in Chicago. And, mm-hmm. and our kids are taking this assessment. So should the district think about doing something different? I don't think I'm the guy to answer that question. Maybe <laughs> sure. we could get uh, with yeah, Donnie McDade, get Donnie McDade yeah. on here. Talk a little bit about yeah, what you think. But um, I, I don't have the answer either. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's going to be the narrative, I think, from different groups. Sure. Um, probably I've already heard it from the union yeah. to some extent. Um, anytime you do have high stakes, I should say anytime, often when you have high stakes testing, mm-hmm certain thing impropriety happens it you will. saw it in atlanta you know you've seen it totally. in, in many uh, cities where test scores just didn't align yeah you know with what was happening so um can we be better proctors can we pay some better attention to this yeah. and, and work to make it to live up more to what we want it to live up to which is to be a progress monitoring exam to inform teaching correct Hopefully. i hope so I, and I so. think I think the district and uh, Dr. Jackson. I think that's what they want to achieve. So yeah, it'll be interesting what happens uh, when we hear from our friends that are principals with yeah. this, with this next round in April. It will be. So um, James, let's touch base on a few more things before we close out episode number forty. Forty. And um, let's pledge to get back in to interviewing some wonderful guests. You and I have talked about a few who should be really exciting for our listeners. Um, Columbus Day. Can I say that? Or can I not say that? Well, you're Italian. Yeah, I'm Italian. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that tomorrow there's going to be a protest at City Hall. Tomorrow, really? Tomorrow, yeah. Um, Yeah. By by Italians. I'm not going to be there. Sure. So um, if you don't know that news, the the district changed uh, Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. Um, and then a, a couple of aldermen, a handful of aldermen. have been upset, yeah. Uh, Italian heritage. Italian heritage. Yeah. but man, uh, long overdue, right? Um, I'm, it's the least that we can do. How we certainly can and should be doing more is not just a district, but it's a society of studying the history of indigenous peoples, honoring indigenous peoples, and not honoring people who um, kill and harm, right? Yeah. So yeah, and one other interesting thing, um, Mayor Lightfoot probably wisely stayed above the fray, mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, the city's not changing." Yeah, Columbus Day. It's it's just the Board of Education, um, which great. Yeah. So funny story on uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. I went to go visit my mother, uh, and my son, who's a second grader, was riding his bike down the street, and one of the neighbors like stopped him and said, "Oh, hey, Waylon, like you got the day off for Columbus Day?" And my son's school. Um, years ago, under strong leadership of a principal, just started calling it Indigenous Peoples Day. Anyways, my son. This is knowledge to me. Had never heard the term Columbus Day before. And like looked at my parents' neighbor and goes, "Huh?" And then he's like, he said something like, "It's Indigenous Peoples Day." And then this guy, a suburban guy, was super confused. It was a funny moment between a sixty-year-old Columbus Day celebrator and a seven-year-old Indigenous Peoples Day. Do you remember the best holiday of all time in Chicago? Pulaski Day. Pulaski Day. Obviously. <laughs> Pulaski Day was like mar- early March. It was. No one knows why we're getting the oh, day off. It was so wonderful. We'll take it. It was so wonderful. Very much needed. Bring back Pulaski yeah. Day. So um, the LC election deadline is coming up, I think, this week. I have Local you submitted councils. your I'm application. James. No, I'm not. Yeah. Running. But we, we could do an episode one time on the history of LSC's really fascinating concept. 
Um, maybe we should study that, but it's a unique experiment in democratic localism. I will bet you twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. Who knows when we're going to release this? this? Is a Tuesday? I think the deadline's Friday. I'll bet you twenty dollars they extend the deadline. Yep, you are in. Yeah, because we do not get enough people normally. Correct. If you run for an LLC election, it's an uncontested election. That's right. right. Yeah, for for most schools, and it's a big responsibility. You hire and fire the principal. You approve the budget. Improve the school strategic plan. Yeah. Um, and you facilitate a forum for communities to engage with some of the biggest issues surrounding their school. So yeah. run for it, people. Yep. To your term. Um, you know, I don't know, meeting once a month or so. Yeah, it's um, kind of a lot. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot, but but run for it. So anything you're reading right now as we wrap up? Yeah, so um, I just read a really great book that one of my board members gave me, The Years That Matter Most by Paul Tuff. I was telling you a little bit about it. Essentially, it focuses around the story of college. How do we make college matter for folk? Uh, how do we ensure that all of our young people are supported to and through it? And um, how do we um, help our country live up to, uh, you know, um, the value of education beyond 12th grade? It's so a great book. A board member gave it to you. Yeah, my board chair gave like it to me. Do you feel like you have to read those books that your board members <laughs> I give you? I trust her reading opinion <laughs> because I read other books she's recommended to me and she has not yet been wrong. Very good. So, but yes, I would yeah. still feel like I need yeah. to read it. <laughs> Um, How about you? I just, um, it's not too recent, but um, it's not a book. It's a a report from the consortium, Elaine Allensworth at the University of Chicago. Former Ed Couple guest. She was a fabulous interview. Um, This is not something we didn't know, um, but they examined 55,000 students who graduated from CPS of varying academic profiles between 06 and 09. So it was a little bit ago. Okay. Um, And then those kids who immediately enrolled in a four-year college. Um, the researchers found that GPA mm-hmm. was up to five times more predictive of college success than an ACT score. Yowzas. Yeah. So five times. Five times as predictive. So what about this concern that people have that like grades are inflated, grades don't matter? This. Yeah, I, mean, I think. I mean, I wasn't a high school principal, uh, nor were you. I know you ha- taught in high school. I was an assistant principal at a high oh, school. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot about that brief interlude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Are there is there great inflation in high schools the same way as there is in yeah. elementary? I don't have the answer for that. Yeah. Uh, it's an argument people make, and Paul Tuff covers it as well hmm. in his book, The Years That Matter Most. But, but really fascinating consortium report, James. Um, I mean, what are the implications of that? Well, it, it sort of is the coda for this conversation. If mm-hmm. we think about uh, the importance of testing, yeah, um, and and how this is a sort of a, a mini scandal, um, and these tests are are sort of sort kids in high schools, mm-hmm. and it's turning out that if you can enroll in college and you've got a strong GPA, you, your chances are really good. So, um, you look at the the map test will have a predictor of ACT or SAT. Yeah. And so they'll say like either 24 or 22 is college ready. Yeah. Well, you know, according to this report and according to what we know about children, <laughs> it's not. good grades and an 18. Yeah. You can also graduate from college. Yeah. Um, so the college you attend may be a little bit different from the others. You know, U of yeah. I might not be in your cards. Um, but... It shows you that 
long-term hard work over a four-year period in terms of a GPA. It's a great... Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll make a connection here as well to that Paul Tuff book. So yeah. uh, he, he tackles this issue a little bit as well. And uh, when they look at students who apply to colleges, uh, the data that he pulls, I can't remember where he got this from, but he says for two-thirds of students who are applying to college, um, their GPA and their test scores are are interchangeable sure. for each other, right? Like they both line up, they both match. That's two thirds of them. You could pick their GPA, or you could pick their test score, and um, mm-hmm. they'd be both be indicative of success yeah. and representative of the whole child. For one sixth of them, they had really high test scores and really low GPAs. Those students tend to be wealthy, tend to get in because their parents can pay full freight. And they are referred to in the college landscape as the CFO special, meaning like the CFO loves those students, right? Yeah. They can take them and get full freight. For another one six, so the remaining part of the population, they have high GPAs and low test scores, right? Um, those students tend to be uh, women, tend to be people of color, tend to be low income, and are likely to, uh, to work harder, based on their mm-hmm. GPA. So essentially, it, he's saying that like for two-thirds of people, your test scores and your grades are always going to line up, right? For the other one-third whose who's test scores and grades don't line up, half of them right. um, are hard workers with good grades. We're going to crank it through, but we automatically discount them because their ACT or the SAT was low and their grades were high. And the name of that book again? The Years That Matter Most by Paul, Paul Tuff. Tuff. You should read it, James. Yeah. Nate, great to see you again. Good to see you as well, it's, James. We'll be 10 months again, right? It won't be 10 months. we got another episode coming out soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Ed Couple. For more episodes, visit theedcouple.com and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Backing up the step moving on to Tennessee. Everyone's getting famous with me. Your name up in the line.